Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Farron Cousins, fellow uh, lefty YouTuber, show host, uh, all-around good guy. So we'll get into a whole bunch of stuff. Obviously, the thing that's been on my mind is uh, Trump versus DeSantis, also this Trump special prosecutor yeah. thing, and then Twitter has been a big deal. I mean, but everything going on with he's Twitter. he's a Florida guy. So, I mean, I've been interested. Florida man. Florida man. Florida man Farron himself Cousins. joins us. <laughs> um, I've been interested to get like a Floridian perspective on what it is that they are so into about Ron DeSantis and maybe what some of his weaknesses would be. So it'd be good to get his perspective. On yeah, that. that will be interesting to get into. Um, but before we get into that, so some news dropped a few days back, Crystal. Kanye West is running for president. Wow. It is official. Now, by the way, I don't know how many of you remember this, but he actually ran for president the last time <laughs> around, too. <laughs> Quickly forgotten. So, you know, at the time, remember, there was a whole freak, like a whole very like liberal freak out about like, oh, he's going to take votes from the Democrats and this is terrible. And then like then, I mean, the whole thing just instantly collapsed and he won like three votes. So oh, do you want to know, okay. know the real number? Well, do you know the real number? Let me ask you, because I think I brought it up the other week. I don't know if it stuck with you. Though. Yeah, we looked it up the other day. What was it? 50,000 people? 60,000 people. A dude who's like one of the most well-known musical artists yeah. in the country. 60, if I did a bullshit fake write-in campaign, I would get more than that. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. Yeah. How embarrassing is that? It's That's really fucking bad. embarrassing. It's really All right, so let there me was, tell you. Remember there was a lot of crying. It's talking about like. Oh my God, yeah. He him, was saying, Kim having an abortion or something? What well, was he was it? saying they almost aborted Northwest. It, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There were like instant public meltdowns. It just was a mess. Oh, it was job. terrible. Yeah. So here's what they say in XXL magazine. Kanye West is putting his hat in the ring for the upcoming 2024 U.S. presidential election. On Sunday, November 20th, video surfaced of Kanye West at one of his offices being followed around by a videographer. In the first clip, Ye is with alt-right political commentator Milo Yiannopoulos. Oh my God. <laughs> quote. It's too perfect. Quote. This is Milo right here. Working on the campaign, Ye says in the video. <laughs> Is that an announcement? Kanye asks as uh, Kanye asks as they both laugh. I guess it is, Yiannopoulos replies. Thanks, I accept. Later in the video, Ye is showing the cameraman some new merch. One item says Ye24 on it, prompting the man behind the camera to ask, so you are running? Yes, Kanye West answers with a laugh. It's simple, because ain't nobody can tell me, you know, you should say this, you shouldn't say that. You know, it's it's just we're moving toward the future. Mm. See, this is OK. Clearly, he's in the midst of a bipolar episode, right? Yes. Clearly, he's manic and he's going through that at the moment. Um, but I guess what I'm always floored by is. The people who like want to run for president, but at the core is like nothing as to why they're running, you know, yeah. like you, whoever is running, you should be able to ask them what's what's your main thing. Like what if you ask Bernie Medicare for all, right? Yeah. Like he would say that you ask Trump the whoa, there's something at the core. That's like this is animating it. I guess for, for him, he just said, you can't tell me what to say. Right. For Kanye, it's like what death con three against the Jews. Is that why he's trying? <laughs> That's what's at the core. Yeah, he's going to in his launch speech, he's going to be like, that's my Hitler impression. That's <laughs> your Kanye mm -hmm. doing Hitler yeah, impression. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say about this dude. Like, it is just textbook. I mean, narcissism, delusions of grandeur, untreated mental illness. And then you drag up Milo Yiannopoulos. This dude, first of all, he was last seen doing an unpaid internship for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Remember that? And then before that, he was like... <laughs> 
selling those like that for that Catholic radical Catholic network, like doing their like home oh, shopping yes. network video. Yes, selling <laughs> statues of the Virgin Mary. This one comes in a lovely pewter color. It's too. You have the brass one. I have the pewter one. Isn't yeah. this pretty? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just like, I covered it and laughed my ass off. It's too perfect that he pops back up with uh, as Kanye's campaign manager, apparently. Anyway. um, So uh, apparently Ye's campaign in 2020, I didn't know this, was marred by multiple pump fakes and fakes and accusations of misconduct, which included accepting donations from minors and reports of election fraud. At one point, he said he would beat Joe Biden by write-in votes alone. Because <laughs> remember, he missed the deadline. Mm. He missed the deadline to like sign up for it officially. That's right. Which is hilarious. That's like if I was running for president, right? Like, oh, fuck. It was, oh, it was last week. God damn it. I missed the thing. But here's how you know he is like actually mentally ill is he really thinks he could win. Don't you think he really believes that he could win and be president? Like he thinks that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, if you watched his Drink Champs podcast, if you watched uh, him talk to Lex Friedman. Um, yeah, he he truly thinks of himself as like a genius. And uh brilliant mind and he's changing the world and i mean it's 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 crazy to watch it's crazy to watch and like the the nature of how unhinged the comments have been about jewish people you know yeah like take kyrie irving for example he watched that uh movie that uh, documentary yeah it was called hebrews to negroes i think it was called something like that um and basically you know the argument is it, it, that's not a factual documentary it's a very it's a one-sided documentary that's all from this perspective of the black Hebrew Israelites. And so he watched that and he kind of thought it was more like historic. Mm. And so he basically promoted it and whatever. But like you get the sense with Kyrie when people push back and we're like, hey man, that might be bullshit. That eventually he was like, look, okay, I apologize to anybody who I offended and you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe that wasn't the right path to go down. He's also not running for president. <laughs> True. Yeah. But with, with Kanye, it was like, he just kept digging himself a hole that was deeper and deeper and deeper and getting more and more unhinged to the point where he was on drink champs and he said, I want to make a young Jewish boy go up to his Jewish dad and say, daddy, what did we do wrong? Right. You know, there, there was a report that people in his inner circle were like, he praises Hitler all the fucking time. And apparently that very famous 2018 TMZ interview where remember he said right. the famous thing about um, slavery's a choice something along those lines. Yeah. Like it's a mindset. Yeah. Apparently they cut out of that interview him saying, I love the Nazis and Hitler. The TMZ like covering for him a little bit there. I guess. All kinds of I guess. covering for him. I mean, and that was the, also notable about the, the Tucker Carlson interview that sort of like kicked off this whole round of whatever the hell he's been doing. Um, that it came out that I guess somebody on Tucker's staff must have leaked it or some other Fox News person who had access to the full interview and could see what had been cut. Like, they tried to protect him there, too. They cut out the worst stuff, the most unhinged stuff, the stuff that was just, like, blatantly, undeniably anti-Semitic. They cut out as well. So, yeah. But since then, there has been no no ability to cover up exactly what's going on. It's And it's not like it's borderline. Like, it's repeated. No. It's overt. It's direct. There's no argument in favor of it. But, uh, yeah, apparently it's Milo just, Yiannopoulos keeping up with them. Take your medicine, Kanye, please, for the love of God, take your medicine. Everybody wants him to be back mentally. You know, everybody wants him to be in the studio pumping out bangers. Well, and this is why I don't, you know, I'm. some people, when they talk about, like, well, he's mentally ill, it's like meant as a cover. Like, you know, you've made choices 
that like you chose not to take medicine even after you were diagnosed and had the ability to make different choices. So I don't feel bad for him. Yeah, you're 40 something year old man. Take your fucking medicine. You should need somebody to babysit you in order to get that done. You know, indeed. All right. So tell me now. Um, I know you had something else you want to talk one. about. OK. A New Zealand court has ruled that their voting age of 18 is discriminatory. This is from a Reuters report. So apparently their highest court ruled on Monday the current current voting age of 18 was discriminatory. And now Parliament has to discuss whether it should be lowered. Uh, the case was brought by an advocacy group called Make It 16. They want the age lowered to include 16 and 17 year olds. And there's some specific uh, law in New Zealand, apparently, that made this ruling possible. The Supreme Court found that the current voting age of 18 was inconsistent with the country's Bill of Rights, which gives people a right to be free from age discrimination when they have reached 16. So I guess that's spelled out in their Bill of Rights. Um, the decision triggers a process in which the issue must come before Parliament for discussion and be reviewed by a parliamentary select committee. It does not force Parliament to change the voting age. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, they're right. It is discriminatory, but, but it, it's also discriminatory to say a 15-year-old can't vote. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you can say... You have to draw the line somewhere. You can say it's discriminatory, but sometimes discrimination makes sense, but it just can't be arbitrary discrimination. Yeah. There needs to be, like, an, an intelligent basis for the discrimination. Yes. Yeah, so, know I mean, with them, their Bill of Rights... I guess, draws this arbitrary line at 16. They're right. basically like, you can discriminate against kids younger than 16. And then over 16, age discrimination is out of bounds. So that's why they ruled in this way with 16 and 17-year-olds in New Zealand. Yeah, so I actually think it makes sense. I think that makes sense. I think the, I think the voting age should be 16. I agree. I kind of, so here's the thing. I think the legal age for everything should be 16. I, I don't I never liked how we draw one line here for this thing, draw another line here for that thing. That just seems it's just inconsistent and silly and scattershot. You know, it's like, no, we're, the best thing we sh could do is come up with a rough approximation of what makes the most sense and then just say, that's it. I feel like you should be able to vote on the wars before you're actually having to go and fight in the wars. Yeah. So what age do they the, does the military start 18. accepting people? 18. 18. And voting yeah. age is? 18. 18. So you don't like the same for Yeah, both? I feel like you should have a little bit of time ahead where you can vote on what's going to happen to you when you're 18. The other thing so that for, they've found um, is that if you're still in high school when you start voting, there because you're in an environment that, you know, you have teachers and like a whole apparatus there, it can sort of help support you in terms of getting registered to vote and how to vote. It should be automatic. The issues, it should be automatic. Yeah. But in terms of that like civic education piece, they've found that when you start voting while you're still in high school, you're more likely to be like an engaged, regular voter. So that seems like a good thing from a national perspective as well. Yeah. Um, Plus Gen Z has better views than But would you say... people? 16 also for cigarettes, 16 also for alcohol. I think so. Because, okay, I, I agree, but I will say the one that I've struggled with, because there's so much data that this would actually, like, really help with the gun problem in America, mm, is 21 for a gun. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that suggests if you make it 21 to get it. But I will say this, if you have other rules and regulations around guns not involving age, 
but just ban on high-capacity magazines, universal background checks, strict discrimination in terms of if there's any question mark as to whether or not the person can get a gun, the answer is no. So you give me all these other regulations, and then I'll grant you, okay, fine, 16, you can get a gun. So let me throw another wrench into this, which is from the opposite perspective. So 16-year-olds being able to drive, which they mm-hmm. can in many states, is also very dangerous and contributes to a lot of loss of life. So should that age be raised? Well, no, that's why I just said I would accept 16 to buy gun. But if you give me the other Lots of regulations. Of other, yeah, the other regulations. I guess I don't, I guess I'm not totally sold on the idea that we should just have one age for all of these different things because there are different considerations for each of these age limits. So there's no risk to anyone of 16-year-olds voting. There's no risk to themselves. There's no risk to the country, to people around them. There's no like risk to life, limb, health, safety, et cetera, from 16 and 17-year-olds voting. For things like gun ownership and driving, there's a risk to other people. Now, there are counterbalancing concerns of, you know, part of, I think, uh, why uh, people can start driving around the age of 16 and varies a little bit state to state is because they need to be able to work in certain instances and be able to get a job and be able to help out with the family and those sorts of things. So that is a countervailing consideration on that one. Then you have things that are like, you know, substances, alcohol, tobacco in particular, where it's like there's a harm to that person in particular, you know, where it's like, okay, well, then you could argue, okay, the brain needs to be developed to a certain point. That's 25. That's 25 years old for that, for the brain to develop fully. All I'm saying is that I'm not sold on the idea that all of these things really should have the same age because there are different considerations with each of them. I, but I mean, I guess my response to that would be nobody really cares about what our considerations are. Like nobody mean? cares. Like if go talk to a 16 year old who wants to have all the same legal rights and, and privileges as an adult, and they'll be like, I don't care about your consideration. This is about me. And so I want X and I should, if I can, whatever. Go fight and die. I should be able to drink alcohol. I should be able to drive a car, et cetera. And to your point, like, yeah, there are, it is true statistically speaking that like the younger the driver, the worse they are, or like certainly young men are yeah, the biggest say- insurance rates. Hold on, let right. me get to my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but sorry, I lost it. <laughs> I lost, oh, 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 no, I found it. It's okay. It's okay. I was like, no, don't come. Oh, fuck, it's gone. Um, so, but even though it is statistically the case that there it might be a little more dangerous yeah. it's also still the case that like 99% of the 16 year old drivers are not going to get in an accident so well, who cares it's still it's still relatively safe all things considered i mean there's a lot of auto accidents it's no, not i understand all, that but if we're talking about but if we're me, talking about middle age 99.5% are not going to crash and uh or whatever if it's like a 1% difference which it probably is it's mm-hmm. not that big of a deal it's like okay it's like fine so the other thing to consider, though, is, I mean, number one, obviously, we have uh, laws in place to protect children who are under a certain age because the assumption is that they're not old enough to make certain decisions for themselves. So the question is, where is that line? Right. right? That's the question. Yeah. The other piece, though, is that some of these um some of these provisions are not just to protect that individual, but are also to protect others in society. So driver's license at a certain age, gun ownership at a certain age, those are ones that fall into, you know, and even like drinking uh, could also be about protecting other people in society. So all I'm saying is that I think there are other considerations than just like, what does that person who happens to be 16, what do they want at that time? 
Okay, but to the driver's license thing, like, yeah. you know, you got to consider other people. The oldest people are some of the worst fucking drivers. Yeah. Should we take their license away? Potentially. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I agree that, look, in society, you're always doing a balancing act between individual rights, liberties, and mm -hmm. freedoms versus the collective communal yes. well-being. The question is, how do you craft the least objectionable system? And and how do you how do you balance those two things in a way that's fair and and defendable? And I you guess. feel like the least objectionable system is just to have six it's be sixteen for everything. I feel like you could afford you could weigh in different factors and potentially come to different ages for for all of these things we're talking about. And it's just still messy. Be it's just messy. It's messy, but yeah. I'm just saying, to me, it's very arbitrary to just be like, even though there's different considerations about all of these different things, we're just going to make it 16 and that's that. No, what's more arbitrary is to say, yeah, at age 16 or age 18, you can go fight and die for your country, but at 21, you can drink. That's super fucking arbitrary. That is very arbitrary. Yeah, so I, I would argue the messier you make it, the more arbitrary it is. Just say, hey, let's keep it simple. Draw this line here. And somebody could disagree with me as to where the line should be. I mean, honestly, I think there's a reasonable argument to be had anywhere from like probably 15 to 25. Yeah. Anywhere in that, somebody could pick a number and say, I will defend this position. And it's like, fair enough, right? But I, I hate the this for that, this for that, that for that, that. It's just like, can we just make things simpler, please? Yeah. But at core, we both agree 16-year-olds should be able to vote. And our politics would probably be better if they could. Uh, I absolutely think that's true. But I'm going to go one step further and ask you what you think of this. Um, so I've always said, if not always, but <laughs> I've recently said <laughs> for, for voting, I, I don't agree with the government mandating people do almost anything. Yeah. But if you were going to mandate one single thing, yeah. I would definitely put voting over like jury duty. I've gone back and forth on this. So uh, I believe it's Australia. They have mandatory voting. I think there's a bunch of countries that have it. And um, what they've found based on the research is that when you require people to vote, and by the way, you don't have to vote for anyone. And also, if you don't vote, it's not like you're going to prison. It's like a like $10 fine or something like relatively minor. Um, but just having that as most people want to follow the rules. So you have very, very high turnout with even this sort of like minor regulation. And you don't have to vote for the people. Like if you don't like either of the candidates, there's another thing you can check of like. No confidence no or some shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think on balance, I also have, I liked it. I went away from it. I think on balance, I'm back to saying this would be better for society if everyone was actually required to vote and you had you know, a, a civic culture of this is what you do as part of participating in democracy. Like, this is one of the requirements of being a good citizen. I mean, you have some, I think of like South Korea, for example, and Israel, they mandate that you join the military for a certain number of years. Now, I don't agree with that. I would not be in support of that at all. Yeah. Um, and in the U.S., everybody knows you can get that letter in the mail. You got to go to jury duty. I mean, you could go and pretend like, you know, you're a massive racist or something, and then they won't. Yeah. <laughs> they, jury like, duty, uh, having served on uh, a jury, is way more onerous. Than yeah, oh, absolutely. But that's my point is that, like, everybody just kind of casually accepts, like, yeah, that's the way society works. Sometimes you get called for jury duty here in the U.S. That just is what it is. Yeah, it's part but of your voting, civic responsibility. But for voting, people, oh, never. You should never, you know, mandate something like that. If you're going to mandate anything, that is literally like, first in line, and I agree with you that the big caveat, which I think wins more people over, is when you say you could also vote, like, no confidence. Yeah. Or whatever. And 
And we should make it really easy for people to vote. Well, that's the automatic voter registration. I agree with completely. You have to do that. You know, make voting a holiday. Right. Some some states have just mail in voting. You should have nationwide mail in balloting, too. Yeah. So that you can just if you want Mm. to just turn in your postcard, it's very simple. I would also do ranked choice voting nationwide. Yes. But these are things like the states run the elections. And so it gets messy because one state does something and the other state does something else. And it's sort of, I, I, you know me, I like more the centralization of it because then you can make it more simple, more straightforward, you know? Yes. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting conversation to have about voting, you know, what the rules should be. Um, 16 year olds is a no brainer. I think they should definitely vote. Agreed. All right, guys. So with that being said, now let's go ahead and jump to um, Farron Cousins. We're going to talk to him about a number of really interesting topics. So enjoy. All right. Welcome to Farron Cousins. Thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here. So a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. Let's start with this. Since you're from the great state of Florida, um, I try to say it the way you want me to say it now. She used to make, she makes fun of me. I'm not that controlling. Look, I'm a New Yorker. So I say Florida, like it just comes off my tongue, Florida. And she's like, that's not how you say it. It's, It's Florida. Right. That's how I personally say it. But I you think, can do no, whatever think, you want to do. But. I think you're right that most people pronounce it Florida. <laughs> and it's only annoying New Yorkers who somehow say Florida. But okay. anyway, I digress. So what I wanted to ask you was, um, and Crystal and I have been having this debate publicly and privately quite a bit for a while now. Um, in the upcoming Republican primary, um, in a Trump versus DeSantis matchup, um, What's your read on how that would go? Because as of right now, I feel I'm a little more bullish on DeSantis than Crystal is. Crystal still thinks like, look, we've seen this before, 2015, 2016. Trump will find a way to like squash him like a bug and move along. So what's your read on it? Is DeSantis like an actual threat to Trump or or no? I I don't. I, I It's a difficult situation, I think, because I think DeSantis on his record, appeals to obviously the broad base of conservatives out there. However, he has a Marco Rubio problem. You know, you think back to the when the Republicans were having their debates in 2015 and Chris Christie came along and basically obliterated Marco Rubio. That's Ron DeSantis. DeSantis does not perform well in debates. Um, He gets really angry. He gets emotional. He will literally turn red (laughs) <laughs> so that's the big problem DeSantis has. So if you were to put him up against Donald Trump in a debate, Trump's going to win hands down, and that is seriously going to hurt DeSantis. But if DeSantis can somehow survive the debates, I think he definitely has the the conservative credentials without the complete insanity and the other baggage that comes with Trump, because that's the thing that a lot of people kind of miss about DeSantis. I know we talk about the horrible things he's done in Florida, the horrible economic situation that we're facing down here. But the guy doesn't have actual scandals other than the migrant flights, which everybody's already moved on and forgotten about. But he doesn't have all these skeletons in his closet that he can be attacked with. So that is a major advantage DeSantis has. And I think if he survives the debates, that could be the determining factor in a Trump versus DeSantis primary race. Yeah. If he makes it past the debates. Yeah. So I want to bring you in in a second, Crystal, but just to give my, you know, the Cliff Notes version, 
the right wing base actually likes him. I don't think the right wing base actually liked any of the previous characters, the Jeb Bushes, the Marco Rubios, the John Kasichs, etc. Um, to this point, I'm impressed with how he's plotted himself and like continued to rise, whereas I think other people in his position would have already sort of blown it. Um, in terms of the debates, I think in 2016, Trump's aggression was a breath of fresh air and people liked it. Um, I think in 2020, it massively backfired when he was really aggressive in the debates against Biden. Everybody was like, stop yelling at the old man. You look weird. So I think that sort of backfired. Um, and then now Trump is sort of a proven loser in a sense, whereas back then he wasn't. So now that he's 2018, 2020 and 2022, he's like his candidates got obliterated. So that's just to make the quick Cliff Notes version for DeSantis, what you could weigh in, Crystal. Yeah, I mean... Again, it's different what plays, how things play in a general election, like how his aggressive demeanor against Biden played in a general election versus my recollections of Republican base ate that performance up. They loved it. And there was a lot of commentary on Fox News of like, oh, I think he destroyed Biden. And they were kind of shocked when the American people were like, that was just really annoying and obnoxious, actually, in the end. So, um, you know, my assessment has always been that those things that a lot of like, you know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world, the sort of Rupert Murdoch's of the world are like, oh, all the insanity and the baggage and whatever. Like, it's a good chunk of the base that's there for the insanity and there for the the chaos that he ultimately creates. But I am really curious, Farron, like, Being in Florida, what obviously DeSantis just romped, uh, you know, to re-election. What was it? Chris, Charlie Chris. Yeah, Yeah. 20 points that he won by. It was just like not even close. So clearly people in the state like him and not just hardcore Republicans. Clearly he's doing very well with independents and with swing voters. What do you think is the key to his appeal there locally? I think a lot of it has to do with distraction. Uh, home prices in Florida have risen faster than anywhere else in the country. And mm-hmm. we've you know, seen horrible things happening all over the country. It is the worst in the state of Florida. And of course, we have these big, massive you know, uh, uh, corporations coming in, buying up entire, almost communities, purchasing every home available. So housing prices are out of control, but that wasn't a factor at all in this election. One, because Charlie Crist... Um, probably the worst candidate I think you could have put up really against anybody. You put him on stage versus a potato. The potato is still going to get 50% of the vote because he's got more charisma than, uh, than Charlie Crist. Crist holds the distinction, by the way, he's now the only person, uh, in the history of Florida to lose a statewide race as a Republican, as an independent and as a Democrat. So he is just cross the board loser, <laughs> but He didn't talk about any of these real issues. What he's trying to do is hit back on the culture war stuff, which doesn't work. I mean, it is a serious issue and it is something we have to address and we have to fix. But when you've allowed the other side to capture the narrative on these culture wars, like the Democrats have have so brilliantly done for 30, 40 years now, you're not going to win by going out in two months time and convincing people that everything the Republicans have said on this issue is wrong. You've got to talk to them about the issues that are affecting them at the kitchen table, mm. you know, which is exactly what, what Bernie Sanders was traveling the country the last couple of weeks telling people, yes, the culture war things are absolutely things we have to address. People are being oppressed. They're, they're clearly getting killed, but we also have to remind people that, yeah, Your financial situation, your bank account is not what it should be. It's not what it could be. And we're trying to fix it, but these other people want to make it worse by pretending that issue doesn't exist. Chris couldn't do any of that. 
And DeSantis just kind of rode this big wave of culture war nonsense, which is what he's done. Combine that with all of the voter suppression, you know, all of the threats of we're going to throw you in jail if you don't verify that you're allowed to vote. It was just a perfect storm for DeSantis. But that's the biggest victory I think we've ever seen in the state of Florida. That is it was huge. It shocked me. Um, and so DeSantis has the wind at his back right now, something that Donald Trump clearly does not. Um, but it's scary to see how quickly this state has gone from a swing state to, I think, solid red. Yeah. I don't think swing state or purple is applicable to Florida anymore at all. And so why do you think that Florida went in such a different direction than the rest of the country? Because on election night, I mean, Kyle and I were here. We were looking at the results coming in from Florida and was like, oh, boy, that looks like the red wave. But then it was only in basically Florida and to a lesser extent in New York. And that was one of the things that was really fascinating to me about these midterm elections was there was a lot of regional variability. Democrats were strongest in the industrial Midwest. You know, they were certainly weak in New York and just got destroyed in Florida. So why did that part of the country go in just a totally different direction than everyone else? Well, I think it's actually all tied together a little bit because we have had a lot of, uh, you know, people moving to Florida from other states. And a lot of it does have to do with, oh, look at what Ron DeSantis has done. Let me leave my comfortable blue state and go live down here where I can go boycott uh, out in front of Disney World every day. (laughs) That that happened. And Republicans had a huge surge in the number of voters that they registered in the state of Florida, I think they finally outpaced Democrats by a couple hundred thousand. So they understand that. They understand the uh, uh, retirement communities down here, which is a huge Republican base. They've made all of the inroads with all of the immigrants here in the state of Florida. You know, the, the a lot of folks that have come up from, from Latin America, from Cuba, and they've convinced them that these Democrats want to take them back to what they left. You know, it totally not true, but that's what they've they've convinced these people. You know, we know you you fled these hard economic times. We know things weren't great in your country. If you want to go back to that, that's what the Democrats are going to do to you. So it resonates well with them. And it's kind of like we see with Arizona and Nevada. You've got a big influx of people from California that have moved into those states that have kind of shifted the tide a little bit. I think the same thing happened here in Florida just the different way, uh, a different way. Yeah. So we've got yeah. a lot of people coming in attracted by DeSantis, attracted by Trump. A lot of the right wing talkers have moved down here now. Yeah. So it's that's true. Uh, it's getting ugly. It's getting ugly. Yeah. You're you're so right. I mean, I've seen that's interesting. So much stuff about how yeah, right leaning people are moving to Florida. Um, so many retirees have moved to Florida. Didn't we watched a documentary on the villages? Yeah. Uh, the, the exponential growth of the villages, where it's yeah. just like it's out of control. It's basically, the boomers' fault is what you're so, telling us, Baron. Yeah, but mix that <laughs> with a conservative media apparatus that really liked Ron DeSantis, and even in the era of Trump, they still liked DeSantis, and they would still put out those stories about you know how he's owning the libs or whatever. And boom, you have a perfect storm where there's this explosion, uh, you know, in the Republican direction in Florida. But just to put a pin in the Trump versus DeSantis thing, and to tell you there's something. There are two thoughts that occurred to me recently, which softened me a little bit on the DeSantis position where I'm like, I could still see it going for Trump. And it's this. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, too, Farron. Um, So even with everything I described before, which I think is a real phenomenon, there is like a rise in DeSantis and a collapse of Trump to an extent. If 
The media goes back to doing what the media did in 2015, 2016, which is they cannot stop looking at the spectacle of Trump. Mm. Um, that could really help Trump because remember CNN, they gave him like billions of dollars worth of free media. And it's not like CNN was covering Trump positively. They weren't, they were shitting on him 24 seven, but the ways in which they were shitting on him were just kind of annoying. Right. And so it helped him in a way. Right. So if the media goes right back to that, which I think they will, and if it's a split field where it's like seven other establishment Republicans and Ron DeSantis versus Trump, well then DeSantis and everybody else is fucked because you're going to split the vote among all those different establishment candidates, and Trump's going to win with like 28%. What do you think, Farron? No, I, I agree 100%. I think a lot of this hinges on what the media decides to do. Uh, because Ron DeSantis is not going to move CNN's ratings. You know, he's not – what Ron DeSantis tweets isn't going to be headline news on MSNBC for the next 12 hours. He's a boring guy in terms of creating controversy, whereas Donald Trump can come out and just make a typo, <laughs> and we're still talking about it eight years later. So they will not cover these other people, right? Chris Christie is a big blowhard, but if he throws his hat into the ring, he's also boring as hell. Ted Cruz <laughs> is a slimy little character, but nobody, nobody's tuning in to see, oh man, what's the latest Ted Cruz controversy? Nobody cares about these guys. Trump is the train wreck. Like you slow down and you're like, I, I, I know it's horrible, but I got to see this. The media can fix it. I was actually shocked that MSNBC didn't air his big announcement last Tuesday. I right. fully thought they were going to go all in on it. Even Fox News cut away. CNN did not. CNN said, nope, we're, we're back here. We're going to do this. And, and that is dangerous. And that is the biggest thing Trump has going for him is that he brings in the eyeballs. I mean, I see it in my, in my traffic. Every day, mm -hmm. you know, you put out a well thought out informative video about climate change. Nobody cares. Trump just farted on live TV. <laughs> Suddenly we got 500,000 views in an hour. I'd watch that. Would love watch that. <laughs> I would definitely watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it has a lot to do with the type of coverage, too. Like, I actually don't think that it's the right journalistic decision to not cover his announcement speech when it's the guy who's the former president. He is, you know, is very likely to be the next Republican nominee. Like, it is a big news event. I respect not and covering it, it's though. It's important to know what this dude is saying, how he's running. Like, it is a real media event. So it's not that. It's like you said, the, the silliness of the co coverage, the fact that every single segment was about him. It was always the same, like, pearl clutching. They got basic facts about what was going on wrong. Like, if you watched CNN, you would have come away with the impression that the entirety of his Russia policy was just, like, coddling Putin's balls versus is, you know, than actually hawkish <laughs> policy. So part of it is just they were bad at what they were ultimately doing. But do I think they're going to be able to resist nope. falling back? Of course not. No way. It's a business. I mean, they're not in this for like the civic good or whatever. Look, I they're covered in there, it. I covered they're in the there to make money. And CNN and all of these entities, too, by the way, are... Um, like they're not in good positions, financial, like in terms yeah. of their financials, both the head of CNN and the head of MSNBC have basically all but come out and said they're in a process of like managed decline. Oh. You know, I mean, it's it's really quite clear. They're set to CNN. They're set to slash um, thousands more jobs. They're really in a budget crunch. Their big splashy in initiative, which was supposed to be the future of the network, CNN Plus, just like immediately failed after hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. So now they're just sort of like hunkering down and trying to hold on to whatever audience they can. There's no way that they can resist that. And I'll tell you, like, 
Trump being back on Twitter. I know he says he's not going to come back. I'm skeptical he'll be able to resist, but that will also feed the media ecosystem because when he's right there on the platform where all of the journalists also ultimately, you know, also are, they'll they won't be able to resist going back to the same patterns. You, you know, that that's a great point, too, because I love to see all the conservatives on Twitter saying, oh, boy, the libs are so triggered that Trump is back. Like, no, that is exactly what these people have been wanting for a long time. Like, I, I understand the dangers of Trump being back on Twitter, but the corporate media, they, they, they've they been wanting this mm. for a year and a half. Like, this is their source of content. Like, we don't have to go read the newspaper. I'm just going to pull up Trump's Twitter feed for a moment, and there's your segments for today, right? It's the laziest thing a producer mm-hmm. can do, but I'll be yeah. honest, I, I'll do it. I'll yeah. do it. He'll tweet out something stupid, and I will cover it because sometimes you, you just kind of have to if it is just so idiotic. But no, that's the best thing in the world for anybody on the left. It doesn't matter where you fall on the left. Trump coming back to Twitter is a huge benefit, not just because of the endless source of content, but because that Twitter feed did play a role in a lot of people getting sick of Donald Trump, a lot of people tired of him. So I'm not complaining that he's back. I'm really not. Like, it doesn't change anything I do other than to occasionally make it a little bit easier for me. The ultimate irony is that the one way to guarantee that Trump wouldn't win the primary or the general again is if the entire media did a full blackout of him and didn't cover anything from here on out of what he did. That'd be the one way to guarantee it, because it think of, I think back to like the Democratic primary in 2007 and 2008 when Obama won mm-hmm. and you had Obama versus Hillary versus John Edwards kind of back there in the mm-hmm. distance, but he got a little bit of coverage. Then there were like eight other candidates that nobody ever talked about ever. Dennis Kucinich, Mike Gravel, um, shit, Bill Richardson. Uh, there was a whole bunch of them. They got zero coverage. And the fact that they got zero coverage meant there was no hope of them getting elected. So if the media actually was able to control themselves and just say, let's make it an editorial decision not to cover him, that would guarantee he wouldn't make it anymore. Like if they, if Fox News goes all in on supporting DeSantis, the liberal media sort of doesn't talk about Trump at all. And then DeSantis becomes the key, you know, fucking villain for liberal media. Then that would be a way to, to guarantee it. But like you guys are saying, the incentives are too strong. And I know because I'm a hypocrite, too, because I covered the fucking launch. I cover the shit that he says all the time. I can't look away. I mean, it's, right, it's interesting. right? Well, not only is it interesting, but there is like. Like I said, there is a news gathering journalistic reason why you would cover something like him launching for the presidency or like the fact that, you know, they just appointed a special counsel and he's very likely to get indicted. Yeah, I want to ask Farron about that. Are you just like not going to say, of course you have to cover that. Yeah, of course. It's I mean, that's a that's a gigantic event in terms of not just politics, but in terms of American history. So. Again, my issue is not that they cover him because you have to. I mean, now he's the former president. He could be president again. Like he's a gigantic figure in terms of our country and in terms of the world. It's the quality of that coverage that really ultimately is my issue. But, you know, Farron, I wanted to get you to weigh in also on the other piece that Kyle said, because I also think that this is unavoidable, which is the idea that you're going to end up with like, you know, 18 different candidates who jump into a Republican primary. They just all went to this um, confab out in Las Vegas. It's called the Republican Jewish Coalition. Chris Christie was there. I think Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo. Nikki Haley, <laughs> Mike Pence. 
Uh, DeSantis was there. Trump, I think, like did a video presentation where we got a standing ovation. I by love the, the way. Jews, folks. The Jews are phenomenal people. <laughs> he said that thing again, again about like Jewish people don't appreciate Israel enough or so. Anyway, um, but, you know, there were some little Chris Christie took a like overt shot at Trump. There were some more like passive aggressive jabs. Nikki Haley was the most open about floating her, you know, potential 2024 aspirations. And like, I think all of these people are delusional with the exception of DeSantis to think that they would even have a shot against him. But that doesn't mean that their egos aren't going to like put them right into that race and that they don't have funders who have been with them for a long time who are telling them they're the one and they're going to this is their time and now's the their chance. So even if it's Mike Pence and he gets, you know, 8% of the vote. That's 8% of the vote that's not available to like a Ron DeSantis. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think it's hilarious. Like Mike Pompeo has been teasing it. Like <laughs> nobody's going to vote for Mike Pompeo. I, I really think that guy just like, just go away, dude. Like most people don't even know who you are. John, John Bolton but, will uh, vote for him. The warmongers caucus. <laughs> yes, he will. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out here too, because I know all the names you mentioned, those are names that have been floating around for a very, very long time. Uh, I want to throw another one out here just in case I am right. So that I look amazing. Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw. Over the last year, we have seen this evolution of Dan Crenshaw to a degree, right? He used to be obviously just a MAGA fanatic. He was another Matt Gates. In the last 12 months, he has positioned himself more as the, I'm a normal guy. I'm just a traditional Republican with a good military background. I'm not crazy, but I can turn the crazy on and off (laughs) when I need to appeal to those people. And now he's in one of the most horribly gerrymandered districts in the state of Texas. It's the only reason we're even, you know, ever talking about him because that's how they got him his seat. But he could be the sleeper person that kind of comes along under the radar, sneaks in and suddenly prevails. He's the military background. I think is big with the Republicans. Uh, so I definitely think he's somebody to also uh, pay attention to. Sorry, I almost yeah. said something that everybody would take the wrong way. He's somebody to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good catch there. Um, um, <laughs> I just struggle to see. I see a lane for Trump. I can see a lane for DeSantis because I think he's played it exactly right in terms of being not a pro-Trump sycophant, but not anti-Trump. He sort of walked that line to be the heir apparent, right? So I, I see those two, I think, okay, heavyweight contenders. Almost everybody else, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, Mike Pence has been just utterly embarrassing himself on this national media tour. Like, all he's been doing, he's been asked all these questions about, like, January 6th and how Trump basically wanted him killed. And Mike Pence's (laughs) philosophy seems to be, look, I, me and Trump did a great job with the country, we agree on everything, like every single policy thing. I'm exactly right there. The only difference is I'm really boring and talk like a standard politician. And I don't think that I should have been murdered. And, like, and he's like, actually just, worse on abortion. By yeah, the way. he's, 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 like he's like more, super Christian. Yeah, right? yeah. More overt but like, on like probably that. But uh, like, who's he appealing to? Who does this appeal to? Well, I mean, OK, so I agree with you. It's mm-hmm. totally delusional. I mean, first of all, I think he's the type of guy who really genu- like has this messiah complex and thinks he's like called by God to I be think that's the true. president. I think him and Mitt Romney both have that same thing going on and probably some other ones besides probably many of them, to be honest with you. I think Mike Pence sees his lane as like, let me galvanize the religious right behind me. And, you know, Trump famously picked Pence because he sort of needed to get the evangelical base on his side. 
side. It was a savvy move. It worked. That and the releasing of the Supreme Court justices' names. Immediately after um, the Dobbs decision comes down, Mike Pence is out saying, now we need to do the national abortion ban. Mm. So I think that's how he sees himself positioning himself and drawing a contrast as he's actually willing to be, you know, more psycho and extreme on cultural issues than either Trump or, frankly, DeSantis, um, you know, who has tried to be a little bit hands off on abortion in particular. But, you know, what does that amount to? It's Rick Santorum. It's Mike Huckabee. It's those guys. You know, okay, maybe you win Iowa and then you shit the bed. Maybe you could peel off like 10 percentage points ultimately. But do I think there's a majority based constituency there? No. The hardcore Trump fans were, you know, chanting and they wanted you dead (laughs) running around the Capitol. So and he's like, I disagree with that. Yeah. I'm not for that. (laughs) And that's that's where when I see Pence being so weak on this stuff, I'm like, you're going to see this from all these people. I mean. All these people who went to this confab, Ted Cruz was among them as well, taking these little like passive aggressive, like subtweet type shots at Trump. Like if you want to beat this guy at some point, you're going to actually have to come out and say it. Y'all, you know that? You know, I I think the only way Mike Pence can even appeal to the MAGA base, he would have to come out and be pro hang Mike Pence like that. He's going to have to be like, you know what? You guys are on or something. I'm not ruling it out. I don't That's put that past him. He's gonna get... <laughs> and, and, and the other part, like for the normal moderate folks, he's already too tight at the hip with Trump. So like he appeals to nobody, right? Like normal yeah. Republicans have already tuned him out. The MAGA folk want him dead. So there's nothing I think he can do to put himself on the national stage. But, you know, like Kyle talked about, he's out there right now just downplaying everything that happened with his breakup with Donald Trump. Like, well, I just think he was getting bad advice from his lawyers (laughs) on January 6th. Like, (laughs) no, they were walking through the halls with rope, Mike. And that rope was for you. That wasn't just bad advice from a lawyer. But he's so weak just as a as a person, as a candidate that, yeah, I don't I don't know who he could possibly appeal to. So I don't know what he's thinking. I I don't know what Chris Christie's thinking. I mean, the public (laughs) has clearly rejected him multiple times. Um, So, again, I I think if you're going to have a sleeper candidate, any of these other people, I think it could be Crenshaw. I think Christy Nome, Christy Nome, um, she she could sneak in possibly as a running mate, I think especially because she's not up for re-election in 2024. Mm. So it makes it easier for her, for her to to come out there as a running mate or even as a candidate because she's got nothing to lose. Yeah. If yeah. they lose 2024, she goes back. She's got at least two more years. So she's a safe bet as a potential running mate uh, for a DeSantis or for a Trump. Yeah. Being a governor is certainly a big help for her. Um, so that's another one to, to just Tim, pay attention Tim to Scott, out there as well. well. Yeah. Tim Scott was there. Yeah. That Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson. Says he wants to, I mean, I just, to give you a sense of like, clearly Trump is weak enough so that he's not clearing the field. That much is clear. And there are other like never Trump figures like Larry Hogan or <laughs> potentially Liz Cheney Larry Hogan, who are floating runs as well. But I mean, just again, I think it's very unlikely. And it's not even clear that DeSantis runs, right? He's not I think he's, putting he's together run. the team. I mean, he's clearly thinking about it, but does he actually you know, 
go up if against his moment, the giant versus saying, eh, let me wait and see how this plays out. And then I don't have to get through the, Trump. But it's going to be a crowded field. There are going to be a bunch of people that jump in. The, the wait to 2028 thing for him. It's like, no, when it's your moment, it's your moment. Like if, if uh, Chris Christie had run in 2012, yeah. he may have been able to run, but he didn't. And then he blew it and then he sucked. Yeah. Right. And now so, he's just like now, a decade later, still like, uh, yeah, maybe I'll sad. run for president again. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, so on the VP front, that's actually an interesting uh, question. So you floated uh, Christy Noem. I think that's certainly possible. Um, Republican governor of North Dakota, right? Is it South or North Dakota? South. Let's just South. say Dakota. Let's call it Dakota because it should be one thing anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so also for, for VP possibilities, I'll float. I know you don't agree with these ones, but I want to float it to see what okay. Barron thinks. Sure. Potentially Marjorie Taylor Greene, potentially Carrie Lake, because I do think, and Trump came out to the press and said this, the one thing he cares about now is loyalty to him. Mm -hmm. That's it. And those, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the most loyal. Carrie Lake is the most loyal. So I think they're possible. I think if he's going to be a little more intelligent, Tim Scott. Um, And then there was one other that you had mentioned that I thought was a good, good one, but I guess we'll just start there. So what do you, what do you think of those names and who else do you think is on that list? Um, well, first of all, those names are terrifying. Um, <laughs> I, I think actually Carrie, Car- like if oh. I'm, if I'm Donald Trump, if I'm advising him, I, I, I think that's brilliant. I would say go Carrie Lake, go Carrie Lake, go Christy Nome. Obviously one of Donald Trump's biggest shortcomings is the fact that, you know, you've got suburban women who are not a big fan of him. So he's got to look for somebody as a running mate who might appeal to them. And that is where a Carrie Lake comes in. That is where a Christy Nome comes in. I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene moves that needle. I, I think her little tour around the country last year with Matt Gates last summer, um, where nobody showed up and they ended up bankrupting their their political action committee, basically. I don't think she has broad appeal, but somebody like Carrie Lake, for the average person out there that maybe wasn't paying attention to Arizona, they weren't invested too much in the midterms, she could come in as somebody that absolutely could maybe galvanize some of the people on the fence out there, maybe shore up some of his weaknesses. So that's a scary thought. Um, Nikki Haley, maybe. I do think Trump will pick a woman. I I really think that that's where he's at right now. I think he is absolutely going to pick a woman. So Nikki Haley, Christy Noem, Carrie Lake, uh, I, I think those would be the top three possibilities right now. I can't see Carrie Lake now that she's lost. I just don't think I don't think he would pick a quote unquote loser. But she's saying she won and <laughs> he's going to help her with that with that I whole know, narrative. He, he knows so she lost. At least at least Stefanik also is on the list oh, that I wanted to float. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I'm not buying that. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> he might. He fucking might. Right. I don't know. See, I'm not going to pretend. I think a woman, get... a Democrat, a minority. Yeah. This is perfect. I like this. I, mean, huh? <laughs> I, I do buy into the Tim Scott argument a bit, you know, especially with Republicans leaning into like, yeah. um, oh, we're increasing, you know, we're doing better with minorities. I could see that and him like, you know, weaponizing that yeah. to, to try to tamp down any allegations that he's racist or whatever. So I, I could see that one. But I don't know. I mean. Do you think, Farron, that that's ultimately where we're going to end up with, like, the rematch nobody wants of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump? Are we really headed? Because, like, I do think that we're headed towards that. But then there's a part of me, too, that's like, it can't be that straightforward. It can't be that obvious. Well, I I, I agree with you that I don't think it can be that obvious. In 2014, um, I was doing an interview and I predicted in 2014 that 2016 is going to be a rematch of Clinton versus Bush. We're going to see a Clinton versus Bush again. Uh, totally wrong about that. 
So, but that seemed like the obvious thing that we were gearing up for Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton. So I don't know that we're probably going to get to a Biden versus Trump again. I, I, I know I think the Biden administration wants to run against Trump again, but I wouldn't because he can't rule anything out with this guy. I mean, he's been pronounced dead so many times. It's like a horror movie villain that just keeps coming back for the sequels. <laughs> Nothing takes this guy down the way it would take down a normal person. So anything is possible with Trump. I definitely would not want to run against him if I were Biden. But what Biden just had his birthday, so 80. I would also think Biden wow. might be thinking, you know what? Maybe, maybe if I actually cared about the good of this country, I would say, hey, thanks for everything. I'm out. Mm. But, you know, you go play such personally. a massive role in all these. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I don't he's think he's not going to do it. He should. Yeah, I agree with Farron that he should. But I don't think I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna do that. Um, so I want to ask you about uh, the special prosecutor. So just to catch everybody up who doesn't know the basics of it, bottom line is Merrick Garland is passing the buck. He's saying, "Hey, we got a special prosecutor. The reason why we're doing this is because you know Trump announced his candidacy for president, and he's trying to get rid of any sort of claims of impropriety to say, you know, I'm I'm it, part of the Biden administration. Don't want to make it look like we're going after our political opponents or whatever. So now we're appointing this guy by the name of Jack Smith. I know the most." standard name literally of all time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I went through this guy's record and not gonna lie, I was sort of impressed by it. He's gone after people for and successfully gone after people for war crimes, corruption charges, obstruction of justice. He's had you know, been doing this for quite a while. And it seems to me, honestly, if you take Merrick Garland or this guy and you ask me in a vacuum, who would I want to go after Trump? I'm definitely picking Jack Smith over Merrick Garland because Merrick Garland, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but he certainly gives me like sort of weak energy. Maybe I'm putting unfairly putting it on him because of what happened in the Obama years mm -hmm. where he was picked for Supreme Court. And Mitch McConnell was like, go fuck yourself. And they were like, OK, right. right? <laughs> yeah. So, But but Jack Smith in particular, I mean, he seems decent. So what do you make of this whole special prosecutor thing? And the, the more important question here is, is he going to get indicted and convicted? I, it's almost impossible he doesn't get indicted. Right. And I feel like logically, I want to say he's going to get convicted. But then I go, but hold on. That's like. Really, are we going to convict a former president? It just seems like I have so many uh, contradictory thoughts on this. So what do you think? I, I think the special prosecutor was a good move. Uh, two or three weeks ago when they had first floated that idea, I didn't think it was a good move at all. I thought, OK, you're passing the buck. You're going to hand it off to somebody that's basically now going to have to rehash everything you've already done. But once they announced who it was, like you said, you look at the resume, you're like, OK, wow, this, this is a pretty good guy. And I think Merrick Garland did it because from the beginning, Merrick Garland didn't want to do any of this. Mm. I, I think that guy is so weak and pathetic that he was looking for any opportunity to jump out there and be like, oh, sweet. Uh, here you go. This is he's the guy now. Talk to him. I'm out of this. And he took that opportunity so fast that it's very obvious this is what he'd been wanting to do. And 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 I think that's for the best with this investigation. I don't think it changes anything with regards to conservatives saying, oh, well, clearly it's nonpartisan. No, they're going to attack whoever yeah. you put up there. They, they could have put Ron DeSantis in charge of it. They would have said, <laughs> well, clearly he's just trying to take him out. But this guy is good. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with this. I agree. I think the evidence is just overwhelming at this point. You have to look at this and be like, yeah, the guy committed crimes, very easily definable evidence-based crimes. But do we do we prosecute? I mean, we we see those headlines coming from third world countries like oh, they're former leaders in prison. 
it's not something that's ever been done here. And I don't know how the public reacts if we do that, even though most people dislike Trump, putting him in jail is a whole nother story. So it, it is iffy. I'd love to see it personally. I just don't know that we're there as a country to actually do it. That's really interesting because it is true. I mean, if you look at the polling, you would say like, okay, the public seems like they're good with this. They see what we see, that crimes were clearly committed, you know, and that frankly, like if any of us had done a fraction of what Trump had done, we would already be in prison. They would have like built the jail on top of us. No doubt about that. But I do think you're right that it's different telling a pollster in theory, I think he should be indicted versus actually seeing the former president of the United States in prison. And clearly Merrick Garland is very nervous about that, very nervous about, you know, what's already coming from Republicans, that this is a political weaponization of the Department of Justice, the current president going after the former president, and this guy's already running against him in the election. So you are kind of persuading me that the way that the public ultimately reacts to that series of events is a little less predictable than what I've been thinking. Because it is just weird, you know, it, again, we've never been in this situation. We, hopefully we never end up in this situation again. But yeah, you're right. There is a world of difference between telling the pollster, yeah, I want him, I want him convicted versus seeing his mugshot online, seeing it on TV. We do have to factor in, unfortunately, how the rest of the world is going to view the United States if this does happen. So there's a lot more at play. And Merrick Garland didn't want to be the guy to make those decisions because he is a coward, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to be the guy. Don't put it on me. Don't come after me, MAGA people, after I do this. So instead, I'll give it to the guy named Jack Smith. So if he convicts Trump, they just they got to go looking for a Jack Smith and they're going to come up with about eight million people that they <laughs> don't know which is which. So maybe that's why they picked the guy with the most generic name in the country. I don't yeah. know. Easier to hide him. But, but Merrick Garland <laughs> didn't want it on his hands. Yeah. And, you know, so the reason why it's so tough is because either way you set sort of a scary precedent. So if you go after him like you're describing, yeah, that is something that happens in in developing countries where it's, you know, we're going to go after the former president and then you open up the door. Well, what if the next guy goes after the previous president? Well, after that, because of the pre previous president, and it's just that's not good. But then the flip side of that is um, if we don't go after him and take him down, well, then what you're saying is effectively the same thing uh, that happened when Obama didn't prosecute the war criminals and the tortures in the Bush administration. Yeah. Where it's like, well, then you can be president and literally do whatever you want and you'll never go down for it. So that's like, let, then let's stop pretending like we're a democracy and say it's kind of a dictatorship because if you let them do anything, torture, war crimes, fraud, corruption, et cetera, that's also like a, a, a third world type Where it's like situation. The presidency is just a license to go on a right. crime spree. Yeah. So there's <laughs> no, like there is no good answer. The, the argument I've made though, is I do think um, it's a less bad precedent to actually go after the criminals and uphold the law. So, you know, I would I would have had no problem with any of the, as Noam Chomsky says, if if uh, the Nuremberg laws were upheld, every single U.S. president post-World War II would be hanged.
Now I'm against the death penalty. I don't want them being hanged, but you want to lock those fuckers up? Hey, I'm with you on that. So I hope Trump goes down and I hope it's over multiple things. I hope they don't just get him on the side charges like the obstruction of justice and the witness tampering. I hope it's over the whole thing involving the documents. I hope it's over fake literally electors. trying, yeah, fake electors and trying to overthrow the election. And I think Letitia James is going to do a number on his businesses in New York because when she announced all those charges and went through the crimes in detail, um, it was it was like, Jesus Christ, you, you did your homework here. She listed so many things like tax fraud, insurance fraud, bank fraud, had specifics that were just mind boggling. So I think I do think he'll um, hopefully go down as a result of it. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, Farron, is um, what's currently going on with uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. So you know, Elon unbanned a lot of people recently. He unbanned Jordan Peterson, the Babylon Bee, Kathy Griffin, Donald Trump. Uh, he said he's not going to unban Alex Jones because apparently he, I didn't know this, but Elon Musk had lost his kid. Yeah, I didn't know that either. He basically said like, I have zero sympathy or respect for anybody who, you know, tarnishes the, these. Would profit off right, of like yeah. the deaths of children. So, but I'm not as interested in that portion of it. The part I'm interested in is the, the the erratic business decisions he's been making. So Crystal and I have been talking about this a lot. Like, dude, you can't come up with 14 new ideas every day, try to implement them, tank the company some more, and then wake up the next day and do it all over again. <laughs> so what do you make of his leadership at Twitter to this point? Uh, it, it makes no sense. It, it, it truly, no matter how you slice it, nothing that has happened on Twitter in the last couple of weeks since Elon took over has made any sense at all. And that's what is truly mind blowing. I mean, a lot of people were very concerned about Musk taking over uh, the thought of an oligarch con uh, controlling the digital town, uh, public town square is a terrifying thought. But nobody could have predicted that it would have been this chaotic, right? He, he had already said prior to the purchase, he was going to fire a lot of people. So we expected things to happen with the firing. But like you said, he is just waking up every morning and like, hey, I had a dream that what if we just put Twitter in a Coke bottle and then we shook the Coke bottle up and then we just <laughs> shot it with a shotgun. And then what if I'm the one shooting it with the shotgun, but then people realize that Donald Trump is also the one drinking the Diet Coke. That we, like, what are we don't even know what you're saying anymore. You're just saying random things. While we're all just, you know, the band of the Titanic, like, well, I'm just going to keep tweeting till it goes down because yeah. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know how much time we have left and we need to cherish every moment of it. But no, we, uh, the thing I love that's been going around Twitter, obviously, is everybody talking about we got to dispel with this myth that billionaires know what they're doing. Right. Because yeah. they don't. This mm -hmm. was a, a complete vanity project. He really thought he was going to revolutionize things. But that's not what he does, right? He takes other people's ideas, and I guess maybe he's got good ideas every now and then about them. But so far with Twitter, that doesn't seem to be the case. He doesn't know what he's doing, and he's taking the whole freaking platform down with him, and he's tanking Tesla too while he's mm -hmm. at it. Like that's just kind of the added bonus. I'm destroying my other company by not even touching it. That's how toxic he is right now. That's crazy that yeah. this is happening, and we're just watching it in slow motion. Uh, every day, which is unfortunate because Tesla has, you know, I have issues with the company. But one thing that Tesla has done and that Musk actually has done that has been positive is he has mainstreamed electric cars. So it's not just like, you know, hippie dippy liberal 
seeming thing yeah. and made them cool among more conservative people. And that actually was really important. So to see him just tank like everything all at once is is not great. Now, on the other hand, I have really enjoyed over the past several of weeks, the complete unmasking of the billionaire class, not just Elon Musk, who, of course, is supposed to be this great genius, business genius, whiz kid, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just see like the dumbest possible decision making of all time. You've got Sam Bankman Freed, of mm. course, just exposed as complete fraudster. Yep. And this wasn't just any crypto guy, crypto guy. This was the one who was supposed to be the golden boy, all of his influence peddling operations. He was popular with the media class, all these like hagiographic hey, profiles of him appearing all you know, all over the place. Oh, and lo and behold, by the way, he's funding a bunch of these news outlets as well. And then you also just had the trial of Elizabeth Holmes. And, you know, now she's been sentenced to 11 plus years in prison. Again, this was someone who was absolutely celebrated, the female billionaire, the revolutionary life-changing technology also ends up being a total and complete fraudster. So, you know, ultimately the giant silver lining here for all of this, and I like really sympathize with the people who lost a bunch of money because of Sam Bankman uh, freed being a fraudster in crypto in general, just being a complete fraud and a scam. But the silver lining to all of this for me is exposing the lie of the meritocracy, exposing the lies that these billionaires are like really better than everybody and really geniuses and that we're so lucky to have them out there saving the world. You know, the media does a wonderful job of of telling us that these billionaires are billionaires because they're better than you, because they're smarter than you, because they came up with an idea and you've got nothing. And so they they perpetuate this myth. They sell it to us in magazines. They sell it to us in specials on 60 Minutes. And we're left at home thinking, my God, one day I could be like this person. I idolize this person now because of what they've done. And it's just beaten into our heads, not just through regular news media, but we see it all the time in in, in fiction as well, right? Mm -hmm. yep. You got your whatever the dude is from Fifty Shades of Grey. You got your Batmans. You got your Iron Mans. The billionaires are the good people. They're just sometimes misunderstood, but they're, they're ultimately going to save us. Maybe not in Fifty Shades of Grey, but the other guys. But. <laughs> It's not the case. I mean, when we see these people in action, they're not becoming billionaires because they're smarter than everybody else. Do some of them have really good ideas? Absolutely. You know, we can't take that away from them. But then they build upon that by almost all of them becoming evil. You either go the Facebook route and you become this massive monopoly that shuts off and kills all the competition. You can go the Jeff Bezos route and destroy unions, make people work in the worst conditions that we've seen in this country in 150 years. Or you go the Musk route and it's, oh, well, I just started a business, but all the engineers are actually the guys coming up with the things. I'm just the face and I'm kind of wacky. So people like me. None of these are good people. They had good ideas, sure. But along the way, they've hurt a lot of people with their business decisions, not just the fraudsters, but the people that are still out there doing business. Well, and here's They're the hurting thing. people every day. Human beings are fallible. Even if you had the best, most moral, greatest character, really wanted to do the greatest good for the world person as a billionaire. Ultimately, the whole mythology around billionaires is that 
they're better than us, therefore we should give them tons of power, that it's okay they have tons of influence, that it's okay for them to shape the world in their image, that it's fine for Bill Gates to just basically determine the public health regime for the entire world, that it's fine for Elon, uh, for uh, Sam Bankman-Fried to decide that this is what money should be spent on and buy up a bunch of politicians in Washington. It's fine for Jeff Bezos to own the Washington Post. And it really is a very anti-democratic view because if we buy into that mythology that they're actually, they like deserve their position in the world, then, oh, I guess they deserve to have all this power. I guess they deserve to have more of a say and more influence than ordinary people do. So it's been wonderful to watch their downfall, even as I really am, you know, concerned about the future of Twitter. I'm a little bit on the fence over whether overall the world would be a better or worse place without Twitter. And I actually be curious of your thoughts on that, Varen, because for me personally, like, I would miss it. I enjoy the site. I use it. It's, like, really integral to the work that I do. You know, the way that we source stories and come up with ideas for the show, the way we prep, all that stuff is, like, you know, the way I follow breaking news. It's all on Twitter. But um, I also have to say that it hasn't exactly on net always been, like, a positive for me personally and I think also clearly for the world. Um. I'm torn. I, I really am. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a massive Twitter following. Um, it, it, you know, my my audience on YouTube. Actually, I just did a poll recently. Most of them aren't even on Twitter. Hmm. Um, so, so Twitter technically poll. with with what I do in terms of growing my audience, it, it does nothing for me. Twitter is just kind of where I go to, you know, say random stupid things that pop into my head that I think, yeah, this wouldn't work in a video, but I could just say it on Twitter. If it flops, it flops. But on the other hand, too, and I do, I agree with you 100%, the breaking news, you know, the quick reactions, the video clips, my God, so helpful uh, when those people, you know, will take the little clips so we can use them in videos. It's so, so great. It makes our jobs easier. But there's a lot of people in the political arena that I would not know existed today if Twitter didn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think a lot of these little freaks out there that have gained huge, huge followings for just being some of the most toxic and stupid people out there. They wouldn't exist if it were not for Twitter. And if Twitter disappears, they go back to not existing. And so that's where I'm torn. Like, is it worth it to get these people to where they just don't exist anymore? Or has social media grown to the point where if they don't exist on Twitter, they could just go to Instagram or TikTok or Facebook? I don't know. But I know me personally... I like Twitter a lot. I am constantly on it. I, I'm more of a lurker, I guess, which is weird. I, I like to just retweet and like things people do, but I'd miss it, but I wouldn't miss all of the people that became Twitter famous and, and are just downright horrible, horrible human beings. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you guys. I, I think overall it's kind of a wash with the good and the bad it does because it does a tremendous amount of good and it does a tremendous amount of bad so in the good category i would put the breaking news and we've never in human history been able to get news and information this quickly mm -hmm. as it happens um they, i mean remember during the the arab spring like they were like live tweeting the arab spring and that's how we were it was ahead of the the news outlets so the breaking news is great the jokes i love you know there's nothing <laughs> funnier than somebody shit posted on twitter and it, it, it just Golden comedy. Yes. I like the connectivity in many ways. People who otherwise might be shy and introverted and don't have many social outlets, they can kind of find a little, they find some connectivity, they, they find some community. Mm -hmm. So like all that stuff is good. The downside is 
the obvious things, the anger, the vitriol, the virtue signaling, uh, yeah. the, the holier than thou attitude. Yeah. Some people use it as like a competition for to show like I'm the best person and I'm a better person and I'm more pure and better than you in every way. And let me just like kind of <laughs> posture about that all day. And it's that so that in some ways it brings out the worst in people. You know what I mean? Definitely. So overall, when you weigh the goods and the bads, I'm with you. It's kind of like a wash. If Twitter went away, I would miss it. Um, but within three weeks, I'd be fine. And same, I mentioned this to you the other day. It's like uh, AOL Instant Messenger. My whole childhood, I was on that. You know, teenage years was on it. And then when it went away, it was like, oh, that kind of sucks. Uh, you know, you feel nostalgia for it or whatever. But then, you know, it's fine. It's gone. No big deal. We'll move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah, I'm fascinated by the way different social media platforms cultivate different, like, practices and cultures, you know, like, Kyle is not on Instagram. So he's always shocked at how I can post something on Instagram and the comments below it are like 99% genuinely positive. That's amazing. It's like, <laughs> like <laughs> why? Amazing. Why is it like that on Instagram? But then you post the most like benign thing on Twitter and 18 people will find ways to tell you you like deserve to die. You know? <laughs> like yes. misinterpreted and all of that. And um, I, I am sort of fascinated about what are the dynamics that lead to those different cultures? You know, ultimately, I think Twitter, even if Elon Musk does his best to destroy it, I don't think it's actually going away because even if it goes into bankruptcy, which, by the way, is something that he floated, um, someone's got to buy it out. There's just too many people there for it to go completely under. Someone is going to see like some value that they can derive out of this thing. Personally, I think it should just be like nationalized. Then we can have some sort of democratic process to determine what content moderation should look like and how the the platform should operate. But, you know, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, it's a very tricky situation, too. And, you know, I I think a lot about MySpace. Uh, MySpace was was my first, like, real social media platform that I was on. And I was addicted to the stupid thing. And I mean, like, almost quite literally addicted. Wow. So when I finally, like, kicked that habit and wasn't going back to MySpace every 10 minutes, it was very tough, but it was freeing, right? And I was very reluctant to join Twitter in the beginning at all. Hmm. Um, in fact, I, I had written an article about a year after I finally decided to join Twitter about how, oh my God, I was so wrong. This thing is so wonderful. There's so many news outlets that I follow and I get stories from them. And now it's just, it, it's replaced that other addiction <laughs> because it really is like, I pull out my phone and I open up Twitter and then I close Twitter. And then without thinking, I just reopen Twitter. And I'm, I'm just like, what the hell am I doing? I didn't even know that I'm still on this thing, looking at what other people are saying because it means so much, but you're right. And I think whoever ends up buying it, if Elon Musk does take it into bankruptcy, they're going to realize that, that this is something people do like. This is something people use all the time. Are there big issues with it? hundred percent, but the good probably outweighs the bad. And if you can find a good way to really fix that, uh, you know, with some of the horrible stuff on there, which I, I don't know, I don't have an answer for that. You know, we can't just go full blown censorship on any of it. But at the same time, we do have to, you know, have a line in the sand and say, this is where you cannot cross, but it has to be clear. Yeah. And I think that's a big issue that we have right now. And especially with Twitter's old management before Musk took over too, is that you never knew 
what you were going to say, if it was good, you know, was it allowed? Was it not? Because horrible things would be out there. You say something innocuous, you get a strike. So it's weird. There's no universal rules. And somebody could come along with actual vision and make it great, you know, turn it into what it is supposed to be. But Musk isn't that guy. And, and I don't know who that person could be at this point, but it definitely is not Elon Musk. Yeah. Well, I don't think it I don't think that it works if your primary motivation is profit. I just don't yeah. think that, you know, your goals around like content moderation and providing a, a good platform for free speech and it really serving adequately as the public town square, those things sit very, un it, like they just don't work together with, and bottom line is I have to serve the the profit gods because then what you, what ends up happening is you just do whatever the advertisers want you to do and you do it in like a non-transparent process. And to me, that's almost the biggest problem is, you know, Elon Musk were always talking about like, oh, free speech. And that's the real reason I don't even care about the profit. I just care about like freedom of speech. Well, he's making you know, he's making a ton of erratic decisions. He also... He came he, out for shadow banning the other day. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Like, yeah. he's, he's like, well, what we're going to do is have... We're not going to have infringe on freedom of speech, but we are going to have, you know, we're not going to have freedom of reach, which is shadow banning, screwing right. with the algorithm so that certain stuff is suppressed, which in my view is actually more... Um, dangerous and nefarious because, you know, as people who exist on YouTube, we know what that looks like oh, when you start to feel crazy yep. because you have no idea, like, why did this one do well? Why did that one not do well? Is it is it just people weren't interested or was it not served to people? Was it suppressed? What's going on? I mean, you just, with no transparency, it's an even worse situation when you're just using these, like, underhanded tactics to decide what you want elevated and what you don't. And no, no negative, no negative tweets, right. um, yeah, what wh the whatever fuck? that means. So yeah, it, instead of transparency, we're just getting more algorithms. You know, it, it's going to be, cause obviously I don't think there's enough staff left to go through manually. So it's just more, we're going to hide behind the algorithms. This tweet didn't do well because it had a word in it that this is the word of the day. We're not allowing through whatever it is. Yeah. Like you said, it's like YouTube. Because you never know, like we can say something on YouTube one day and then the next day, nope, if you mention that word, you immediately get demonetized and your reach drops. It, it's frustrating enough to have it on that platform. And now it looks like, yeah, we're going to be bringing it to Twitter as well. It's it's terrible and it makes it impossible to use these things properly. Yeah, he went from, remember when he first bought it, he was like, comedy is now legal on Twitter. Right. And all, you know, everybody was like, hooray, yeah. Then people started parodying him and changing their name to Elon Musk. Not their that. ad. Their ad was not Elon anything. Their ad, if you looked at the ad, everybody would be their own thing. But it would say Elon Musk. They had the picture of him there. Sometimes the one with him with no hair. Yeah. Remember the one where you needed the hair <laughs> yeah. plugs, right? And they would start saying, like, one person was like, I, Elon Musk, sure do love drinking a hot cup of my own urine. <laughs> and, the, and so people were ripping on him. And then he immediately flips on it, bans a bunch of accounts. And he says, well, I, what I meant was, bro, you need to have, like, parody written in your name and stuff. And then some people wrote, parody in their name and still made fun of Elon. One of them was like, I sure do miss my good friend Jeffrey Epstein. And then he got banned. That was H3H3. That was uh, Ethan Klein who yeah. did that. So yeah, he's all over the fucking place. Even his big idea, the first idea he came out with, pay $8 to be verified. And then he goes on a, on a speaking tour and admits, well, I'm going to prioritize your tweets if you pay me $8. 
that's not free speech. Right. That's a fucking two-tiered system. Yeah. What are you talking about? And he says, like, power to the people. Power to the people would be the opposite of the policy that you're literally advocating for right this second. So it's just uh, the, the leadership is so incredibly erratic, coming out in favor of shadow banning. I mean, it's it's... One day after the next. I agree with I you guys. I appreciate that he's tanking his own favorability because he was yes, way he too w- popular. I know, before. but it was all PR <laughs> that got him super popular to begin with. I'm happy, too, that it's going down, but it's still way too high. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you guys. My my whole thing on Twitter, I don't mind if it's privately owned. That's fine to me. My whole thing is I want it to be regulated like it is a public utility and to have the transparent rules mm-hmm. and to have basically you know a process by which you, you know, hey, this is wrong. Nobody wants anybody to be docs. Nobody wants direct threats of violence. We all agree that shouldn't be allowed on there. But, you know, the rules should be few and far between. And if there something does go wrong, there should be a process where you can determine what's going on, figure it out. But, yeah, it's all done in secret. And now with this fucking erratic billionaire and what are we going to do? And, and it would be, you know, first of all, kind of like Bezos with The Washington Post, I don't think billionaires should should own any part of the you know public discussion here in the United States. But if he would had wanted to take it on, like, listen, I'm just buying this as a property. The people that are running it still going to run it. That would have been slightly more okay than the way things are now. But just in general, with the weird decisions he's made, you know, the 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 firing of everybody, the you can't criticize me or you're fired. People snitch tagging on Twitter, getting <laughs> people fired from their jobs. <laughs> it, it's totally nu- totally nuts. But I will say the one thing I got to give him full credit for, this was awesome, was tanking Eli Lilly, tanking Lockheed. Yes. That was a stroke of brilliance. And uh, <laughs> I got to say, it, it also shows that there's other people out there that do understand these issues in a way to be able to do this uh, on their, their verified Twitter accounts. That was brilliant. Whoever you are, folks, that did that, uh, I I am truly forever grateful. That was yeah, wonderful. I did get a lot of enjoyment out of that too. Out there. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Eli Lilly, insulin's now free. Boom, the stock price. And not just this, like every insulin maker. Yeah, saw their stock crash. Yeah, because it was. A, I mean, it was another revealing moment when they have to come out and be like, no, 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 we we're still going to price yeah. gouge you. And then the, the advertisers running away from Twitter as a result of that. Like, how did Elon not think that that through? That's amazing. Yeah. Like you think there might be an issue if you're allowing people to pay for a verification badge and anybody could make any handle pay for the verification badge. And then all of a sudden it looks like David Schwimmer just called for the Holocaust. You know what I'm saying? I saw somebody on Twitter who was talking about why they run like the marketing budget for like a mid-tier company and why they pulled their advertising from Twitter after a two-year wait period. And they're like, this isn't ideological. It's number one, like you said, you're worried about you're getting all these screenshots of your ad next to something just absolutely horrific. But they also said just with the staff cuts, there's no one there for them to even deal with. They had like four different ad manager, account managers in, you know, two weeks. And so just from that perspective alone, they were like, forget it. This is not worth it. This is not worth it at all. So yeah, I mean, his whole free speech thing definitely did not work out based on his own decision making. The big idea of the Twitter blue $8 thing, he had to like immediately pull because it was such a total calamitous disaster. Advertisers fleeing. So the business model, Twitter already didn't have a great business model and now it's just totally in the tank. So just just wins all the way around ultimately. Well, and, and you know, he did mention too, uh, and this is one thing that actually might be good is kind of expanding it into monetizable video content. So, hey, I'm, I'm good with that idea. That's actually 
you know, something that, that would be beneficial to it. It'd definitely be beneficial for, you know, everything we do, mm-hmm. but you can't just walk in and, and fire everybody that works there that knows how things work. If he had had a team behind him, like, okay, I'm getting rid of all you folks, but these are the people that are now going to have these jobs. Like, if you're going to purge people, you have to have those replacements immediately available and they need to be people that understand. But he didn't. He walked into the building holding his sink and then set the whole building on fire metaphorically. And now he's wondering, like, well, I don't understand why things are going so bad. <laughs> well, yeah, you got rid of the the smart people because he's the kind of guy that always has to be the smartest in the room. And I think the ego part of that played a, played a bit of a role here. Absolutely. Well, Farron, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Tell everybody uh, where they can find you on Twitter, on YouTube, and all that stuff. Yeah, YouTube. Uh, the big one, of course, Ring of Fire. It's YouTube.com slash The Ring of Fire. You can also get me on my other YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Balanced, And then Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok at fair and balanced. So it's pretty easy at fair and balanced across most of the platforms. Uh, and, uh, I think that's about it. That's all I have. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. Yeah. Great to have you, Farron. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. It was a wonderful time. Thank you very much. All right. That was Farron Cousins, everybody. Uh, didn't mean to rehash the same argument we've had 712 times. You meant it. I did, but I also wanted to get out the, uh, two new points, which have been, uh, bothering me. Yes, well, I mean, it sounds to me like you're basically come over, coming over to my position. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. You're at least giving yourself plenty of outs to be like, yeah, well, well look, I gave myself a million no. caveats, so. Well, I always had outs because I'm going wherever the evidence goes in the moment. If tomorrow Ron DeSantis says something about Trump that's fucking psychotic and makes the entire Republican base turn on him, I'm going to be like, they turned on him. You fucked up. Trump's the favorite now. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying as of this moment, he's he's in the game and he's real. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, don't you think it's very likely, number one, like your two things you cited were if the media goes back all in to cover Trump again, um, and number two, if there's a bunch of other schmucks in the primary as well, I think both of those things are likely to happen, don't you? Very, very likely to happen. Um, and basically, if that's the scenario, then what you're relying on for a DeSantis victory is an indictment and a conviction. Mm-hmm. You're relying on that. Because if those two things happen, yeah, it's you can't have seven other people and then Trump. Because the seven other people are going to split right. Because Trump's votes. got his core right. people who are going to be there. Well, and this then is you what... have a limited pool that's available for persuasion. And if you're dividing up that limited pool, then I mean, do you think? I don't. But do you think that they, the GOP elite, has enough of their act together to be able to clear the field for just DeSantis? Um, I mean, that's a wonderful question. If they don't try. They're fucking beyond idiotic. Like you have to at least try. You have to at least try to call a meeting, you know, whatever. Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, list all of those fuckers. Yeah. The big money donors got to give them a call or Mitch McConnell can lead the crew, make a call. Y'all got to get in the same room. Let's talk it out. We're going to figure out what's going to happen. All right. Only one of you is going to run. 
Who do ha- who, how do we end up who runs? I don't know, but you figure out who runs. Then everybody else who feels like, oh, I'm getting shafted. It's my time. No, bitch. You'll be VP. You'll be um, Secretary of State. You know, you'll be Attorney General. Like, we'll work it all out, right? But yeah. only one of us can run because we got to fucking beat this guy. We have to. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. The I don't know is, if they're going to pull it off. I, I don't think they will pull it off. But if I want to play devil's advocate here... Um, all of the people that we just mentioned, except for Ron DeSantis in a different category, none of them has like a grassroots base of fundraising support. They are all 100 percent dependent on the Republican elites and donor class in particular. So that means, you know, they could have the plug pulled on them very easily. But then again, all you need is to convince one billionaire that you're the one and it throws the whole th- wrench into the whole thing. And the other thing is, I think they're going to want to shop around. I think the right wing donors, the big money donors are going to yeah. want to shop around. Yeah, I kind of like this one, but I'll, I'll give that one a chance too. let me see you on the debate stage. Well, DeSantis is a little untested. And it could be too little too late by that time. Yep. You know, if that's when you get your shit together, like they can't afford to even do what the Democrats did. Which is wait until the very last minute for Mayor Pete to drop out, Amy Klobuchar to drop out, Beto to drop out, endorse Biden. You no. can't wait that long with Mm-mm. Trump. Mm-mm. You got to do it early. Yeah. So. And even the very fact, I mean, just the nature of this confab that they just had and all the donors that were there and the response in the room kind of signals to me that they aren't doing what they would need to do to clear the field Correct. for Ron DeSantis. Correct. They're letting so, these people run around on their book tours and imagine themselves as president. Mm-hmm. And some of them at least have, you know, wouldn't be doing that if they didn't have the assurances of a billionaire or two at least that they're going to have their backs. Right. So in other words, Jack Smith, Steve, Bob, <laughs> Dave, Greg, get your shit together, bro. You better you better fucking take this fucker down, please. For the love of God. I am not as convinced as you that that would take him out of the GOP primary, but. Oh, if he ends up in prison? Yeah. Okay, bro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we'll All right. See. All right, whatever. <laughs> but I, I guess what I will say, though, that I've thought more about is, you know, let's say that you're right and Ron DeSantis gets in and he's formidable and they clear the field and he ends up, you know, being the, the underdog and coming from behind, taking out Trump. Like, it's still going to be a total disaster for the Republicans. Like, they're just screwed no matter what because there's no way. Donald Trump is going to just like go away no. quietly. There's no way no. that he's going to be like, you know, okay. Ron, you ran a great race and you got the better of me. Today Good I'm luck in the general election. Ron DeSantis. No, that's no, never happening. No, happening. So, so I don't know if he runs like some people are like, maybe he'll run as an independent. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but he's certainly not going to do what needs to be done to bring all of the bro. mega base along and unify the party. That is bro. not happening. If, okay, just think about this for a second, okay? Let's say Trump, just put indictment conviction, put that all aside. Mm -hmm. Let's say Trump really does manage to shit the bed in a colossal way and DeSantis or somebody else wins. There is a 0% chance he steps aside. I'm convinced he'd run as an independent. You think so? Or he'd create like the MAGA party or the Patriot party or some shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. If he's in jail, I think it's a totally separate question. But if he just gets beat, He's immediately going to call fraud. He's going to say it's fraudulent. Definitely going to say it's rigged. Absolutely. And he's going to say, I'm going to run as an independent because it was rigged. It's not fair. We're going to run from outside the two parties the way it should be. Then I'll get like 15% in the general. Santos will get like 30. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then Joe, Joe Biden's carcass will be <laughs> will be brought to the dragged into the White House. They'll prop him up with a stick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, guys, if you like this show, God bless you. <laughs> Go ahead and sign up on Substack. Five bucks a month gets you the video of every show and it gets it to you a day early. Everybody else, you can sign up for free as well on Substack and get, you know, the email as soon as the audio version of the podcast drops a day later. Um, so much love to everybody who already supports this show. You guys make it work. And yeah, anything else for the lovely people? No, I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We love you very much. Enjoy the time with your friends and family and however you celebrate. This one here, I got it. I have to get this off my chest. I have to get this off my chest. You... <laughs> She put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving, bro. Listen. Before Thanksgiving, bro. I'm busy, number one, which you know. Number two, I'm not even going to be at home this weekend. Going to be with your people. So when else am I going to do it? After Thanksgiving sometime. Yeah, but then it's only up for the like three weeks and I put a lot of work into this. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor and get into the holiday spirit in plenty of time. So here's 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 my rule, and I, I'll I'll have people vote on this. Okay, <laughs> after Thanksgiving, yes, you can put them up. You could do it literally the day after, right? And you're allowed to keep up your Christmas decorations after Christmas. You can go until honestly, you could go until yeah, but it's not the the same end of January because you don't after think so? Christmas it feels sad. I don't want to look at the Christmas tree after Christmas. It's why, over. But it's why do you done. want to look at it before it's Thanksgiving? Dead. Because then in advance, there's like an anticipation. It's the holiday season. The anticipation is for Thanksgiving before I'm Thanksgiving. excited for it. And it's like something to look forward to. I also, I do think that this is a difference between like you don't actually decorate for Christmas <laughs> or any Facts. other season. Facts. So like for you to like, oh, well, do you just put it up for like three weeks and then take it down? You're not reflecting on the fact that there's a lot that goes into this. And I like the way it looks when the house is decorated for Christmas. I enjoy doing it. And it's a lot of work. And so I want to have a longer period to be able to enjoy it. Whereas if I didn't put it up this weekend before Thanksgiving, then I can't do it next weekend because I'm not going to be around. And then it's like we're already into December. And it's like, uh, what, I'm going to put this up for two weeks? That's like that's a lot of work for not a lot of payoff here, ultimately. I have I will, some very nice Christmas decorations that I was excited to see. Okay, th- that is true. I will gladly admit that my position is informed by my autism. I will freely admit that. <laughs> okay, it's true. It's true. But it reminds me of the old John Stewart joke when he, you know Fox News would always do the war on Christmas, war on Christmas thing, and his he would say they're so not a war on Christmas that it is literally eating into other holidays. Well, here's the other thing, though. Okay. In my holiday decoration considerations, I am not going to go through the trouble of decorating for Halloween and then separately decorating for Thanksgiving, which some people do. I respect that decision, but I just don't have time for that. So my Thanksgiving decorations have been up for a long ass time at this point. And then Christmas is going to get short shrift if I wait till after Thanksgiving. So I'm going to have pumpkins from September all the way through to like December that's too much pumpkin time, okay? I'm sick of seeing the pumpkins. I'm ready for something different. When I'm president, I will sign an executive <laughs> order. And I'm, it will I'm be voting for Trump in jail. Over it will that. be November 25th. <laughs> all the way through January 30th, you can keep up Christmas decorations. Okay, but are you gonna account for the fact Thanksgiving is not always on January 20th? I mean, whatever the fuck, November 24th. 
No, you always have to go day after. Yeah, okay, day after. Day after. Yeah, you always have to do day after. That's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the look, after, the after, I just care about the turkeys. Yeah, but it's just sad. After Christmas and you leave it up, it's just sitting there. You just look like, it, it just gets sad. You know, it's the new okay. year. It's you time for the new funny? thing. I'll tell you something funny now. Because you were like, oh, you don't decorate. You don't decorate, whatever. Yeah. Okay, there was a time where I did, right? But uh, I had this, I, I like the look, guys, and I know this, I'm in the minority on this one, but I like a, a white Christmas tree mm-hmm. with the multicolored lights. Yeah. And so I, I got one of those, I put it up, um, and so I, I left it up, and then I just left it up, and then I left it up, mm-hmm. and it was like in June, yeah. <laughs> and that shit was still out. Yes. And But not for nothing, didn't really bother me. I was like, it just looks pretty. You know, what are you going to do? So you turn the lights off at night, you watch a movie, you got the white Christmas tree with the lights on, but it's 84 degrees outside, you're chilling. <laughs> so, so by the way, I can't, you could scratch my criticism because <laughs> if, if I kept a Christmas tree up one year all the way yeah, through like the you're fucking not really summer, in compliance I can't say shit own, about like a November 10th. With your own rules it up. and yeah, deadlines exactly. here. No, facts. Okay, fair enough. You need right, to take the, the libertarian approach to holiday yes, decorations. Yes, fair enough. But I would be curious to see poll results. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll talk to you later. Peace.